Let's sing that one more time. You ready? Just kidding. Um, before we get going this morning, I, I need to I need to get four volunteers. This was totally unscripted, but I need four volunteers who feel like they know what the church is about. They love the church. They love, not just this church, but any church. I need four volunteers. Can you just raise your hand really quick. And it just okay. Thank you. That's one. All right, come down here for a second. I need you to do something. I need I need three more. Three more. Come on. All right. I already know these two answers. Yeah. I need one more. Somebody else. Come on. I need a lady. How about a lady? Yeah, just sit, come stand up here. I need, you to write, I need you to write down on a sheet of paper or something. I need, yeah, can you yeah, just come on? Yeah, yeah. This would be good. This would be really good, actually. I need you to write down on a sheet of paper the most important thing needed in a church. The most important thing that a church needs. Write that down and just put it on. It should be one or two words. It doesn't need to be a whole sentence. Just put it down on the speaker when you're done. Just something, the most important thing the church needs. Okay, while they're doing that, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Michael. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, these guys are going to do that, and we're going to use this in just a second. But we're in the 12th week of our series called Undivided, um, going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 12, week 12, chapter 12, right? And so we're having, um, we're just looking through the book of 1 Corinthians. This year has been the year of, of, of maturity. We, um, we've called ourselves last January to, to see to see the body come together and be united, but also to mature in our faith. When you're done, you can just give it to me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can keep the pen as a souvenir. Enjoy. So um, so what you see um, it, in our church is obviously that the Lord is just moving in, in this small little body of, of Christ, but our heart is that we would not just stay where we're at. Um, at the Connection Church, our heart is to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus. So really quickly in your heart, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your relationship with Jesus? Or have you become stagnant and are you stale and are you in the same place? My question I always ask all the time is how long have you been exactly where you are in your faith? And my question today for you is how, what is it going to take for us to move? Um, there was a lot of questions. Anybody Georgia Bulldog fans in here? A few of us. There was a question a few weeks back whenever we were in the national championship. And they're just like, if not now, when? Right? And so I, it made me think about our faith. It's like whenever we're taking those next steps, if not now, when? Right? If we're not going to grow in our faith, if not now, when? And my heart today is, is that we would be looking into that. So what we've seen through the last 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians, we've seen that Paul has followed the very specific pattern of he's, he's coming to Corinth, he's, he's left, planted churches, heard there was some crazy stuff happening. Um, he's, he's written letters back and he's defined the issue. Hey, this is the problem. There's division, there's sin, there's, you're, you're taking the Lord's Supper in vain. There's all these things happening and he defines that issue and then he highlights that issue in light of the gospel. He puts it through a gospel filter and say, here's the gospel, here's what you're doing, here's where the disconnection is and here's where we need to step it up as a church. Right? And so what you see is if you want to get your mind around Paul's teaching, because Paul wrote a large portion of the New Testament, if you want to get your mind around Paul's teaching, it's that no matter what the issue was, the gospel was the answer. He brought it back to the gospel all the time. So my question for you today is whatever issue that you're dealing with in your life, because we're all dealing with issues because 10 out of 10 people are messed up in this room, right? We all have things that we need to figure out. Are you bringing it back to the gospel or are you trying to white knuckle it and figure it out on your own? Are you trying to work it out on your own? So last week what we saw... Paul started this fourth section of this book that deals with some issues that were, had arisen in the church's gathering. How they were gathering was weird. It started, they started, last week we saw that the, that the church was coming together for the Lord's Supper and they were divided, the rich people, the poor people. While the poor people weren't, weren't there, the rich people were getting drunk and, and all these things were happening. It's like, what is going on? This is not the Lord's Supper, is what Paul said. And so what he said is you need to evaluate yourself to see where you're at and learn how to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner where we're coming together united around the table of the Lord. And last what we saw. So what I love about 1 Corinthians is I feel like Paul could have written that to Connection Church Savannah. I feel like he could have written this book to us because it's just as relevant. And we'll see a large portion of that today, a huge example of that today as we look at chapter 12 and see how Paul instructs the church to use their gifts, their spiritual gifts, not as a means to puff yourself up, but as a means and a tool to build the church up. You see that? So we'll, we'll be reminded that we're just, a, we're just as susceptible to these issues as the first Corinthians were. What I love about this section of this book, this, this chapter 12, 13, and 14, chapter 12 is going to outline what spiritual gifts are. Has anybody ever wondered, hey, what's my spiritual gift? What are spiritual gifts? 
Um, you ask a Baptist, you ask a Methodist, you ask the Pentecostal, they'll give you three different answers. My heart today is that we would gather around the Word of God because it's perfect. We would read what the Bible says and we would understand what these things are and how they're to be used. And so he does that. And then in chapter 13, Paul pauses for a minute. And Patrick's going to show us next week. He's going to show us without love being the foundation of how we exercise these gifts, Paul compares it to a clanging cymbal. Think about a person walking around talking to you like, it's like pointless without love. It's aggravating and annoying without love, right? Without love being the foundation. Then in chapter 14, it's going to be a fun week. So two weeks come back, it's going to be great. He, he clarifies how we are to use some of these gifts as a church. And so let's pray together. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I pray you do, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will look into this together. And so, Father God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We want to make sure that you are the center of all we do. I pray this morning, God, that your name will be made famous. God, that you would hide the speaker behind the cross. God, your name will be made great, mine will be made less. Father, I pray that you would just work through the word that is spoken. God, just pierce our hearts with conviction. God, give us the courage, the motivation, and the boldness to change God, make us like your son. Make us into your image. Father, I pray that you would rip away the things in our hands that are causing that harm. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a few things here. Um, what, we, what we saw here is in this, in this little survey that we did, I, I got the perfect answers. So I knew I would. So I started thinking about what people's spiritual gifts are in the Bible and why we have spiritual gifts. I asked four different people what the most important part of the church is. And I probably could guess who wrote what. I love it. And so I look at this, and I'm like, man, this is, this is what it's about. One person wrote community. That's one of our values. One person wrote the Holy Spirit. One person wrote the Word of God. Another one says, focus biblical truths and obeying them. And so all of these things show me that those four people probably have four different gifts that the body needs to see the body built up. Do you see that? There's not one person that had an idea or an opinion about what's the most important thing a church could have that's more important than the other. We're called to bring these things together and work together in bringing the body, building the body up to unity and maturity. And I love doing those little surveys. And just so you know, um, the next series that we're going into is going to be a series on discipleship and evangelism. But we're going to send out a survey for our entire church to do. So if you see that in your email, please fill that out. It's going to be totally anonymous. Nobody's going to know who wrote what, but just fill that out for us. You'll see that in the next coming weeks. Um, I know that's a little side plug. but So let's look in the chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1 through 7 to start us off with this morning. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So quick pause. Spiritual gifts, there is, um, it's called, it's the, the Greek word is pneumatikon. Pneumatikon is what it's called. It's called spiritual things, spirits. Spirituals is what Paul would have said there. Now concerning spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware, uninformed, some scriptures say. You know that when you were pagans, not Christians, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what we see in the first three verses is we confess the same Lord. As a church, we confess the same Lord, Jesus, right? Let's move on. Verse 4. Now, there are different gifts. Different, the, the word different gifts, there's various gifts. Um, the Greek word is charismata. It means special gift. It means, this, is, this is where we get our, the charismatic movement gets their name from, the charismata. There are different ministries. That's, that's where that, the ministries means servanthood. It's where we get the word deacon from, servant in Scripture, but the same Lord. So we have different gifts. We have different services, different serving, servanthood type gifts, but the same Lord gives us those gifts. And there are different activities. That's, that's, another, that's another type of, 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 of kind of a subset of gifts. But the same God produces each gift in each person. What you see there, first section, we confess the same Lord. The second section, we depend on the same God. Let's look at the third section here. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person or for the common good. And we're going to move on in a second to verse 8. But what I want you to see is before we get too far in this, I want to clear up some things about spiritual gifts right from the jump that the church has been really irresponsible with that applies to the Corinthian church. Okay, So if you want to have a definition of what spiritual gifts are and what they're for, to kind of sum it up into one sentence, spiritual gifts are given to God's people 
to build up the, the church to carry out the mission of God on earth. Okay? Spiritual gifts are given as tools to God's people. If you're not a Christian, you don't have a spiritual gift. It may be lying dormant inside of you. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, it ignites it and moves it out. So it's, it, spiritual gifts are given to God's people to build up the church to carry out his mission on the earth. Did you hear that? That's the heart behind what we're looking at. If you're in this room this morning, you're a believer, you have followed Christ, you have a spiritual gift, and that gift was given to you with precision and purpose. It was given to you with a purpose and with precision. So clarification. This is a very big clarifying point that I want you to see in the church. because This is where the church kind of goes off with some, with some irresponsibilities. In. Your spiritual gifts are not about you, and they're not for you. It's about the church. Your spiritual gift is not about you, and it's not for you. It's for the church. And that's what I want you to see, that the first Corinthians, first Corinthians, the Corinthians, the first and the second Corinthians are the same people, okay? So the people, the people in Corinth, they were dealing with this. We're going to look at that in a second. So that's what I want you to see. Those two things about the spiritual gifts are given to God's people to build up the church and to carry out his mission. And then spiritual gifts are not for you and not about you. Those two things I want you to focus on today as we look through this chapter. So let's look at seven things. I got seven points today, right? It's not going to be, don't, don't get nervous. It's going to be great. So there's seven truths, seven truths about spiritual gifts according to 1 Corinthians 12. And the first one you've already heard, the first one you've already heard, spiritual gifts are given by Jesus to complete his mission through his church. You hear that? I pray the eyes of your heart will be open today. As I studied this this week, my heart was just edified, and I loved it. A lot of things were clarified for me. Spiritual gifts are given by Jesus to complete his mission through the church. Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. It'll be on the screen. Write it down. You don't have to turn there. It says this. Jesus is talking here in this moment. He says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me, the Christian, the person that says, I'm a follower of Christ. And this is where the American church has some issues because we have a lot of fans of Jesus, but very few followers of Jesus. You see that? And so what happens is the person that's a fan of Jesus who attends a church service, may go to a connect group, may pray whenever things are rough. They wonder why they're not doing the same things as Jesus did. It's probably because they're not saved and they haven't given their lives over to Christ. Because when you become a Christian, what Jesus says, the one who believes in me, the two key words in this sentence, what does it say? Will also, will also do the works that I do. Man, that's a big deal. Have you read the Gospels before? That's like, whoa. Like that's, and, so, and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And that gets kind of confusing, so let me break it down for you. The little last little phrase at the very end, it says, because I'm going to the Father. What that means, is Jesus is foreshadowing the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he told the disciples, say, it's good that I go away so that the comforter will come, right? So the comforter is the one who, what, he, he, he establishes our gifts, he motivates our gifts, he empowers them, he puts the fire in my gut to, to go and use those gifts. And then he goes in and he says, greater works. What does greater works mean? A lot of people, a lot of people misinterpret this as, I'm going to do more than Jesus did because I'm, I'm great and I have all these awesome gifts. I'm a great pastor, I'm a great leader, I'm going to do more than Jesus. That's not what it's saying. What this is saying is the greater works means to greater extent because now the spirit that was in Jesus is collectively in all of us, right? So Jesus was on earth. I would love to have Jesus on earth. Everybody was like, yeah, I would, I would love to have Jesus to have lunch with, to have just disciple me some, you know. But listen, the same spirit that was in Christ is in you, is in me if you're a follower of Christ. And so what that means is there's parts of you that are incomplete without me, and there's parts of me that are incomplete without you. There's gifts that you have that I don't, and there's gifts that I have that you don't. That's why we say we're better together. And why do you think the enemy wants to divide? Because he knows that if we're apart, if we're separated, if we're divided, if we have people who are just coming to church only when it's not raining, you know, that's, it's, 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 an, it's an issue. People will say, hey, we're, we're divided. No, we want to be united around Christ. And so what I love, even about this, like just the 100, 150 people that are in this building today, just tapping into that same power that Jesus had access to, to carry out the mission of Jesus on this earth, we would be unstoppable just with the people in this room. Not to mention the other churches that are meeting across the world right now. But if we would tap in, stop quenching the spirit, let him have his way here, you would see something biblical happening in your life. And I want to see that for this church. So what's the mission of God? Let's, let's clarify that this morning. There's four things that I want to show you the mission of God is. 
the mission of God, he came to do what? Jesus, the mission of Jesus was to glorify God in the world. I think it's on the screen. If it's not, it's okay. Yeah, there it is. To glorify God in the world. Go to John 12 if you want to. Write that down. Go check it out later. The, one of the main things that Jesus came to do was to glorify God in the world. That's why we always say to reach the nations. That's our goal is to reach the nations. Will everybody go to the nations? No, but you'll have a part in reaching the nations somehow, whether it's prayer, sending, or going, right? Jesus wanted to reach the entire world. He wanted to see every nation, tribe, and tongue singing the praises, worshiping God the Father. That's what Jesus came to do. That's our mission as well. The second thing, to bring freedom, to bring freedom. Luke 4, 18 and 19, we see him saying, I've come to set the captives free and give sight to the blind. Like, well, the spiritually blind, but also the physically blind. He, we saw him do that. But my heart today is like, so many people in the church are living in bondage, right? We just sang that song, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And I was sitting by there listening and worshiping. I'm like, how many people in this room today are living in bondage and are so comfortable with that bondage they don't even know they're in bondage, Right? My heart today is that we would see, our eyes would be open, that no longer can we play with sin. No longer can we play with the pride that burdens our hearts. No longer can we be Christians who are just sideline Christians. Listen, COVID, the pandemic, all these things that have happened, the, 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 the social injustices that are going around, all these things, that God is drawing a line in the sand for his church. He's saying, follow me or don't. Pick a side. Choose this day who you will serve. Quit, just, but quit playing games, and that's the heart. He came to bring freedom. The third thing, we see Jesus come to save sinners. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do in our life to save ourselves. No amount of Bible reading, no amount of going to church, no amount of praying, all those things. We cannot save ourselves. We needed a Savior to save us, a perfect spotless lamb to save us. The fourth thing, he came to build his church. What did he tell us in Matthew 16? What did he tell us in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That is, that is him building his church. We are obedient, he builds. The problem with the church today is we haven't been obedient, right? He's held up his end of the bargain, we have not. My heart today would be that we would make a turn and we would go into the direction of him. So what we see as spiritual gifts go, God gave us the same gifts that he possesses to carry out the same mission that he started. God gave us the same gifts that he possessed to carry out the same mission that he started. But the funny thing is, is he's done it in a way that we would have to do it together. So he's given you one, he's given you one, he's given me one, and we would be able to edify and build up each other to be one body going in the same direction as Jesus. That's the heart. The second thing we see. The second thing we see is in, in this little section of Scripture so far has been every Christ follower has a spiritual gift. We've said this before. Every Christ follower has a spiritual gift. What you see, remember, I've said this a million times, but you were saved from your sin, and you were saved for a purpose. You weren't just saved from your sin to sit in a seat. You weren't just saved from your sin to wait 50, 60, 70 years to die and go to heaven, right? I grew up in a church where... People are like, I just can't wait to die and go see my Jesus. I can't wait. No, Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. So if I'm living, I'm going to be for Christ. I'm going to live my life for Christ. To die as gain, great, wonderful, let's do it. But while I'm here, I'm going to spend my energy making disciples of all nations, seeing people saved, seeing marriages healed, seeing people restored. That's my heart as a believer. That has to be our heart. And so if you were saved, I'll, tell you, I'll just give you this this morning. If you have been saved, if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, and your life pretty much stayed the same other than you don't drink as much or curse as much, something's wrong. Something's off. Guys, Jesus didn't come to make you good. Jesus came to make you new, brand new. He he brings you from the old to the new. He's, he's not it's about making you good. He came to make you a brand new creation in Christ. So the people you hear about in Iran, these places that you see people coming to the Lord, their families are disowning them because they're looking at the person they once knew, and they're not that person anymore. They're like, what's happened to him? Because he once was this way, but now something's different, and now he's this way. I don't, I don't like this. And so what you see is, is there's a new creation for those who have come into Christ. And so you were saved from your sin, and then you were sent on mission, and you were given the tools, spiritual gifts that you need to carry out your role in the church. Do you see that? On this mission, if you were sent out to the battlefield without a gun or, or equipment or water, that would be an issue, right? If you walk out the door on this mission, God hands you your tools. Your, he's equipping you for the mission that he sent you on. The question is, how are you doing this morning? 
Just doing a quick self-assessment. How are you doing with that? This is what scares me. There's a lot of Christians, maybe in this room this morning, that have no clue what their spiritual gifts are. One, they may not have exercised them, or two, they may not have been in the Word to understand what they are. But my heart today is that we would be awakened to the tools that God's given us to be a church that, that edifies each other and glorifies Jesus. Because I'll tell you this, at the end of your life, Jesus is not going to say, well done, good and faithful Christian. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful, good and successful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? My heart today is that you would see that your gifts were given for the sake of the church. Look to your left. Look to your right. The people next to you who are believers in Christ, those people are who your gifts and your, are for. And so that leads me to my third thing. The third thing is your gifts were given for the good of the church. Your gifts were given for the good of the people to your left and your right. Like the, the things that we do in, in services, with the, we ask people to serve, we ask people to serve in kids or give services or worship or whatever. Guys, that, that's, that, that's just the beginning. That's just the foundational beginning. But which means, what I want you to see this here is if your gifts were given for the good of the church, what that means, if you aren't using your gifts that God has given you, the church is suffering. Do you see that? If you're not using the things that God, if God's giving you the gift of prophecy, of teaching, of, of, of evangelism, of you know, all these things, if God has given you these gifts of serving, of, 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 of administration, of all these things, and you're not using those things in the midst of the church, you're, you're, you're hurting the church. The church's growth is stunted because of your lack of using those gifts. And one of the many issues that the Corinthians what, what, what they had is they, had the, their, they thought their spiritual gifts made them super spiritual, right? They thought their spiritual gifts were uh, something they could display. They, they, they could display their awesomeness. Like, look at me. I can, I can speak in tongues. I can, I, can, I, I can prophesy. I can teach well. I can speak well. I can, I'm the best servant in the room, guys, right? They're, they're very humble, right? They, they have this pride and this boastfulness in themselves. But if you contrast that with what Paul says in Galatians 6, what you see, you, even you can look in Philippians, you can see where Paul says, if you think you have reason to boast, I have more. But listen, what he says in Galatians 6, 14, it says, what does he say? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast except in, in the cross of Christ. May that be the only thing that Connection Church boasts in. May that be the only thing that I boast in is Jesus saved me. All the things that I may do for the church is nothing compared to what Jesus did on the cross. And that's the thing we have to be focused on. And so they were thinking, these Corinthians were thinking that spiritual gifts were like these spiritual superpowers that had given them worth. Hey, I can do this, so I deserve a higher spot in the church. I, I, deserve, I deserve to be respected. So watch this. He says, I've got tongues, or I've got prophecy, or I can discern between spirits, or I can discern the, the right or the wrong thing to do. But what do you have? Oh, you have the gift of administration. That's lame. Let me tell you, the gift of administration is not lame. If you have that, I need you, because I don't have it, okay? Okay? All right, good. So Paul is telling them that not only does that show their immaturity, it shows that they haven't understood the gospel or the nature of their gifts. It shows how you do, you haven't understood what the gospel is, man. If that's how you're coming about this, you've, you've lost sight of, of the goodness of God. And so to think, let me tell you, to think, to think that your spiritual gifts or your talents set you apart shows that you don't understand that what you deserve is nothing but God's wrath. It shows that what, what you've been given in Christ is, is, is the beautiful gift of Jesus' righteousness, and it's been bestowed on you only because you've had faith in him. It, and, that, and that should humble us, not puff us up. Fallen human nature, always, and I know you agree with this, but if you get all of us in this room, human nature searches for something about ourselves that's unique, Right? Like that, that, can, that we can boast in, that will set us apart. Like, I'm, I'm pretty, or I'm athletic, um, I'm smart, I've got a six-pack, I make, make a lot of money, I have a big 401k, I, I'm gifted in blank, I'm moral, I, 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 don't, I don't sin very often. I, I, anything, fill in the blank. We try to fill these voids in our lives with things that set us apart when that's anti-Christian, that's anti-biblical and anti-God. 
And what can happen is spiritual gifts can even do this. Spiritual gifts, I've got this gift, I can do this, therefore I'm special, right? But it's only in Christ that we boast. It's only in Christ that we boast. Look in Luke chapter 10, just write it down, you don't have to go there. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples to preach, two by two, sends them out. Don't take clothes with you, don't take a staff with you, just go with what you have. He sends them out, and disciples come back because Jesus had given them authority to preach, and he's given them authority over the demons. And like he's, they come back, and they're fired up. They're just like, Jesus, I don't know what you did with the whole laying of hands thing, but even the demons submit to us in your name. And they're like, whoa, what is going on? This is different. But what did Jesus do? He rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them and said, don't boast that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Listen, that, in that moment, the disciples are like, that has nothing to do with the demons. Not, look what happened. Look what we did. No, he's saying, that's a side note. That's an overflow of what your name's being written in heaven will do. Rejoice that you are saved. Rejoice that the gospel has an effect in your life. And then the effects of that, give glory to God. Point back to Jesus. Now, let me tell you, possessing this mentality that Jesus is, is conveying here is a lot easier said than done, Right? I'm not sure about you, but I, it's, it's a struggle for me. My flesh always looks for ways to distinguish myself, right? Like the, the things that give me a sense of importance, right? But spiritual gifts are given to me not for my personal benefit, right? It's given for the church. There's so many times where I, I've shared this before. I'll be very vulnerable with you because I want you to be vulnerable with me. There's been many times where I've preached a message. I'm like, man, I killed that, man. I, I, I did perfect. Great. No, but nobody responds to it. I'm like, so you see, the devil tries to the devil tries to, to tempt me to boast, and then he tries to condemn me in the same moment. You see that? As a, as a man, it's easy to fall into that, that flesh of saying, anything that I do, any gift that I may give to the church is about me when it's not. It's about me exercising in humility before my Lord, saying, God, here's the gifts that you've given me. Here, take them back and use them for me, for the church. Use them in me for the church because spiritual gifts are not for my personal benefit, and they're certainly not to give me a reason to boast. Because remember, our boast is in what? The righteousness of Christ that he's given us in a gift of salvation. And our gifts are given to us to serve others like Jesus served us. So this morning, I'm not sure where you're at on that. But fourth thing, fourth thing, no Christian, no Christ follower has every gift. No Christ follower has every gift. And I love that. As you look in Scripture, look at verse 7. It says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. And what you see, every Christian was given a gift that everybody else needs for the common good. I need what you have. I, we need what you have to see the mission carried out. We need the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle, the teachers, the pastors. We need all the gifts of leadership in the church, but we also need the servant, the administrator, the person who can prophesy, who can discern between spirits, who can, who can, all those things. We need those things in the church to build us up because why? We're better when we're together. We're better together. Guys, God didn't give them all to anybody, but guess what? Jesus had them all. The Holy Jesus had all of the spiritual gifts. And I love this down in verse 14. If you look down in verse 14, what does this say? I can't even find it. There it is. It says, indeed, the body is not part but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is it not for that reason any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body. What? What does that say? Just as he wanted. I love that. Every member is unique. Every member performs a different function. Every, some, some are the same. But let me tell you, if the eye decides that it's more important than the foot, there's going to be some major issues, Right? Because the foot can't see where the eye is going. The eye can't walk without the foot. The body can't hear without the ear. The body can't grab things without the hand. The body can't smell without the nose or hear without the ears or speak without the mouth. 
We have to hear this, guys. God designed the church like a body because that's what we are. The body of Christ, where Christ is the head, the one who gives the instruction to the rest of the body. What happens if the hand or the leg or the foot or the eye or the ear or the hip or the knee, what if it stops doing what the brain says? We call that person disabled. There's so many disabled churches in our land because we have not listened to the head. My prayer this morning is that we will be a church that listens to the head who is Christ. Even when it doesn't make sense to the body, does the, does the hand understand everything that the brain gives the hand? Probably not. Hey, don't grab that. Leave that alone. Wait, listen, it's important that we submit to God and stop trying to do the work of the head. You see, one of God's agendas is to go after your self-sufficiency. Who prides themselves in being self-sufficient? <laughs> I do. I'll, I want to do it my way. If you don't do it my way, it's probably wrong. Right? Anybody else in that, in that camp? Well, I, I want to be my own man. I'm prideful. My wife will say so. I, I'm telling you, like, I, I have issues with that. I'm, I'm telling you this morning, guys, we have to get rid of our self-sufficiency. And God's agenda is to go to war against your self-sufficiency. And so he communicates parts of himself in one person and part of himself in another person. And without the other person, we can never experience the fullness of God without each other. You, you may think you have, but God is deeper and deeper and deeper than you can imagine. And as we come together and using our gifts in unison, it creates a beautiful orchestra of the church that sings a beautiful song about God's goodness. And that's the heart. Some examples that I've used before is how does the brain take care of the elbow? If the brain, brain is like, hey, elbow, you have an itch, scratch it. Well, how does he do it? He uses another part of the body to scratch it. He says, hand, go scratch that elbow. Well, how does he, well, he made the elbow dependent on the fingers and the eye dependent on the foot, or the foot dependent on the eye. How would the foot work without trusting the eye? You see that? But what happened is there's been so much distrust sown in the body. We don't trust each other. We don't love each other like Christians are supposed to love each other. We're not united like we're supposed to be united. So we don't trust. We don't, we don't, we don't edify and admonish and rebuke and correct and love and, and push each other forward anymore because we are happy with being just close enough to do church on Sundays and connect with during the week. But God, God's called us to so much more. I need to depend on someone else's gifts. I need to depend and lean on you, and you should lean on me, and we should work together in that. So the only way to know all of Jesus, the only way to experience all of the power of Jesus is to be connected to other believers. There's no Lone Ranger spirituality. There's none of that. There isn't any of that. I'm complete in Christ, yes. Therefore, there's none, there's none of this, I'm complete in Christ, but I don't need the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. There's none of that. That is not biblical. Like you are complete in Christ. Hear that. As a Christian, you are complete in him. But the way that God continues his work in your life is through intimate connection to the body, the local church, the local body. So it makes no sense to ask God to work in your life if you're not connected to a local body somewhere. I don't even care if it's this one. If you want to be connected to another one, just go there and be invested there. But I pray it's here. Like, you can't say, God, give me guidance. Help my marriage. Help my kids. Help me overcome temptation. Because 90% of the times, the, the, the source of that help is going to come through his hands, feet, eyes, ears, elbows from the church. That's where he's going to take care of you from. And my heart today is that we would see that. God has distributed the primary portion of his power in the world by means of gifts that he's given his church. I love that. It's such a genius as if I should expect anything else. Because when you're asking God to work in your life without being intimately connected to the local body, what you're doing is you're asking him for his power while you disconnect yourself from the source of that power, and that shows a complete lack of self-awareness on our behalf. And these are the parts, there are parts of God that we'll never experience apart from being invested in the body of Christ in a very intimate way. There is, and no Christian has all the gifts. You need the church, and the church needs you. You need the church, and the church needs you. The fifth thing, fifth thing we see kind of leads into this. Biblical church only happens when everyone is contributing. 
That's a big one. I pray that you hear this with your heart. Open ears. Biblical church only happens when everyone is contributing. What do I mean by everyone? If you're not saved in this room this morning, I love you. I'm glad that you're here. I pray God does a work in your heart. But technically, you're not a part of any church because you're not saved. When you come to Christ, you enter into a body of believers called the church. And it's, it's the big C church. You're a part of God's global church. But then he commands you to be a part of a local church where you're able to use your gifts to build up the church in the area where it's planted. We're a church that's about planting other churches. What we mean by that is we want to plant a body of Christians in another neighborhood. We want to plant another body of Christians over here because the church needs to multiply. So what you see here, biblical church only happens when everyone who is in that church contributes using their gifts, shows up for people, is, 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 is present with people. Let me, let me jump ahead to a couple of weeks. Two weeks from today, we're going to talk about um, 1 Corinthians 14. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 for a second. It says this. It'll be on the screen, I believe. It says, whenever, whenever you come together like this, hey, we're coming, we're, we're coming together, right? We're together. Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But everything is what? Everything is to be done for building up, for building up the church. So Paul's expectation is that everyone comes with something to give. I know I'm stepping on some toes. We're going to do that. It's okay. That's part of, the, that's part of preaching, right? It's part of, part of my job. Paul's expectation was that everybody that shows up to church as a believer, not non-believers, as a believer in Christ, shows up with something to give. Let me give you an example. Let me, give you, let me, let me ask you a question. Is, is that your expectation this morning? Is that your expectation? God has given me a word of encouragement, a word of insight, a word of wisdom. Uh, God has given me a word for someone else that I need to encourage. And I, as I was reading this scripture this morning, this person's name came to my mind. I just need to go share this with this person. Are we coming with that mentality? Are we connected to the body enough to be able to know each other, to know what each other needs? Uh, that's a question that we need to ask. A lot of people think that the pastor is the one who gives on a Sunday morning or a connect group. A lot of people think they come to receive. Hey, you preach, well, listen. Hey, you lead worship, I, I like that song, so I may worship, raise my hands. I don't like that song, so I might not sing. I don't like talking about 1 Corinthians 12, so I'm, I'm going to tune out until lunch. A lot of people think that the pastor gives and everyone receives, but that's not biblical church. That's not biblical church. <laughs> you know the most silent place in the world? The most silent place in the face of the planet. It's a connect group where a leader asks what God's been showing him this week. <laughs> right? It was, we, we can be talking about sports or football. And we can be talking about the weather. We can be talking about our jobs, all these things. Everybody's chatter, 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 chatter. Hey, guys, what y'all, what's God been teaching this week in the Word? <laughs> no eye contact, right? Sometimes it's not true. God, God's moving in our church. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just joking, but you know what I'm saying. Like, well, our heart should be that that would be the time that we become most chatty. That would be the time where we're like, God's moved in this place in so many ways. God has moved in my life. My marriage has been healed this week because I've submitted to my wife. My wife has submitted to me. We've come to this middle ground where I've never experienced this much love before. Um, I've, 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 I was able to share my faith with my coworker this week. Yeah, I might lose my job, but who cares to live as Christ dies gain, right? We're doing these things for Christ and Christ alone. And I come to my group, my body of believers that I meet with on a weekly basis, and I share that, and it edifies this person, it challenges her, and it brings this person to his knees because he needs to surrender. And we work together, and the body has grown, and it, and it brings us into, into, into unity. Let me share something with you that I think we're weak in as a church. According to Paul, as you look in this section of Scripture, a New Testament worship service consists of three things. The Word of God, which we, we promise you that we will be deeply committed to the Word of God. It, it requires the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit working among us, and the people of God. The Word of God, the Spirit of God to bring the Word of God alive, and the people of God to do the work that the Spirit leads us to do. Those three things. So what if we came to church, to our church gatherings, our connect groups, just overflowing. 
just overflowing with what God's done this week in our hearts, just overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I, I've got this word of encouragement. I've got this, I've got this insight on this word of, of Scripture. Hey, who am I supposed to share it with, Lord? But what if we came to church that way? Guys, that's what it's supposed to be like. But, 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 but is that how we approach church? We're young. We're still growing. I understand that. But is that how we're thinking about it? And I pray this morning, if it's not, that we would look at the Scripture and we would start molding our minds and our lives around it instead of trying to mold it around us. This morning, I pray that as you read Scripture, that you would start reading Scripture and as it convicts you, you would not put it down, but you would pick it back up and say, God, give me the strength to mold my life around your word, to make me like you, to, to make me have the heart of you, God. For many of us, it, it, it's I come, the, the preacher and the worship team give, and I receive. Guys, that's called consumerism. And it's a pandemic in the church. Do you know how I know this? Because we can see it in this church. We can see it on our other campuses. We can see it in every church across this nation. There's people that just, at the drop of a hat, I can't be there today. I'm not coming. Or I just, I don't like what the pastor preaches about. I don't like what the way the worship leader does. We have people, where, I've been in a church before where we've split over arguments over the color of carpet. I'm like, listen, guys, there's, just stop. What are you doing? Carpet? Listen, that's why we don't have committees here. <laughs> but what's happened is you have this participatory, participatory, is that right? Yeah. Participatory uh, mindset where we come together and we participate in the gathering. We, we participate in our groups. We participate in the ministry of the church outside of these walls. And we come here on a Sunday and we are fired up at what God's done outside these walls. But what happens if, if it rains hard, we don't show up, or if we, we're worried about this, worried about that, or do this, or do, we don't get the full spectrum of what God has called us to or who we're called to be in Christ. And the heart is that you would, you would ask yourself the question is, what does this reveal about our hearts and our attitudes towards the church that Jesus died to save? Like, what a horrible Christian experience. Guys, because there's so much more. Like, the joy of the Christian life comes not from consuming these spiritual nuggets on a Sunday or at a connect group like you're at McDonald's or something. Like, the, the, the real joy is when you're a part of a body that's interdependent on one another and gives and loves and serves one another. And it's one thing to come hear a sermon about it. Like, we can get fired up for five or ten minutes. You walk out the door, Satan tries to steal it out of your heart. My heart of the day would be that you would take this and you would chew on this. And you will understand what God's heart is for us. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. It says, To one is given the message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. or To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. That's languages. Glossa is the Greek word. To another, interpretation of those tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. And I understand that the church, no matter what denomination that you were in, some of you may get nervous about certain types of gifts. But I want to tell you this morning, we cannot get uncomfortable about different types of gifts because they're in Scripture. And we need to understand what these things are and not turn ourselves off because we're uncomfortable. That's the problem with a lot of our spiritual lives because we, we turn off whenever God takes us somewhere uncomfortable. We need to let him have our hearts in all of our lives, right? I'm, I know I, I, I get too intense sometimes, but I just can't help it. This is important. And so what you see in this little section, this is one of six different lists of spiritual gifts found in the New Testament. There, there, are, more, there are two more in 1 Corinthians. There's one in Ephesians, one in Romans, one in 1 Peter 4. But here's the cool thing. None of those lists contain all the gifts. There's different ones in different lists. And so it's interesting to study this, that there are, there are at least 22 different gifts noted in Scripture, and no list includes all of those gifts. So what does that mean? It means it's a mystery. It means there's no exhaustive list in Scripture. And I think God did that because he didn't want you to become religious. Oh, let me look at this list. Okay, I'm that one. It's not what he wants you to do. He wants you to follow his leading. He wants you to submit to his spirit, his moving, and follow his leading and not be dependent on a list that he gives like the Jewish people did about the Ten Commandments. 
there's the gift of apostleship. I, I made you a list that you can look at. Right? So the ones in Scripture are apostleship, prophecy, teaching, miracles, healing, helps, administration, tongues, interpretation of the tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, discerning spirits, evangelism, pastor, teacher, serving, encouragement, contributing, leadership, mercy, and many more. And if you go down that list and think these are the ones that you had to fit in, like that, there, there's more. God has opened up the door to so much. Remember what we said, a spiritual gift is any tool or gift that God gives his church to carry out his mission in the world. That's what it is. It's not like an alphabet where you have this set number of gifts and only a set number to choose from and to work with. Remember I said Jesus had them all, and at any moment Jesus could give you one to use to, use to further his kingdom. Paul would lump all these things in 1 Peter 4. If you, if you want to write this down, 1 Peter 4.11 is where he talks about this at. He lumps all the spiritual gifts into two categories. 1 Peter 4.11 says this. If anyone speaks, let it be done as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So what you see Peter lumps the spiritual gifts to those who speak for God and to those who serve for God. Do you see that? Those two things, those who speak for God, those who serve for God. And so sometimes these gifts are permanent, things you have the rest of your life. Sometimes they are temporary, right? The, the 120 Christians who spoke in tongues on Pentecost, some of those guys never spoke in tongues again. God gave, those, God gave them that ability so that his name would be made famous at Pentecost where thousands of people came from all over the Roman Empire. All these Jews came, and God's name was made great through their praises, and they were recognized that's the gospel. I need to turn my life to Christ. See, that's the heart. But sometimes the power of God can come upon you for a time or a season and do one thing and then not do that again. Sometimes it's a gift that you have forever. Ministry gifts are like that. Sometimes, often, I'd say this, in, all, in fact, they're often, gifts are in rhythm with your natural abilities. The Spirit of God takes some natural talent you have, supercharges it, anoints it for the use for his kingdom. Look at David. I shared this this week on social media. You look at David with, with his harp, his music, his ability to lead worship. How much did he have to hone that gift in to be invited to be the king's personal musician? You think about the way that looks. Other times, this is more rarely, they're completely foreign to your natural abilities, which highlights the glory and the honor of, of God's grace on your life. And I've, I've known people who are not natural public speakers at all become great preachers. That's rare, but it happens. But I've also known a lot of people who thought that they can bless other people with song, but it just wasn't true. You know what I mean? Amen. Y'all want to hear Christmas Eve. Um, <clears throat> so they're usually in line with your natural abilities, but not always. You say, well, how do I, how can you tell? Well, I made a diagram, okay? Venn, a little Venn diagram is what it is. If we can throw that on the thing here. So how do your, your gifts line up? Like you can kind of, if you don't know what your gift is, maybe this can kind of help you. It's something that you have the ability to do, something that you enjoy, but also something that is needed in the body of Christ. Usually at, at the intersection of those three things is where you find your gift. It's where you find the gift that God is trying to hone in you. So what is that for you? What does that look like in your life? As you look at, as you look at what you're doing um, as a Christian, what does that mean? Let's, let's just think about that as you, as you look at what it means to, to have a gift and be able to use your gift for the church. So the sixth thing, we're getting close. The sixth thing is spiritual gifts bring diversity to the body. Spiritual gifts bring diversity to the body. Let's look at verse 4 again. It says, now there are different gifts but the same spirit. And then look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Greek or Jew, whether slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. The spirit gives unity to the church, and he brings diversity through our gifts. You hear that? So if you're saved and you have the spirit of God living inside of you, 
You've been given passions, interests, burdens for ministry. And here's the thing. That creates tension in the church. And I love that. Any church that agrees on everything is not a church. It's a club. I love that tension. So there's limited resources, and everybody is saying, hey, why don't we have a women's ministry? Why don't we have a men's ministry? We should do this. We should have this. We should do this. And the reason no one else sees things like you do is because you've been given the gift to carry those things out. That's why most times whenever people say, hey, we need to start this, we usually say, yeah, we do. Have fun. We'll give you the resources. Go do it. And that's the way ministry works best together because I believe that the best ministry ideas are in the congregation. I believe the best ministry ideas are in you as you're living for Christ. If you're living submitted to Christ, I believe that God will highlight those things in you. But we want you to use your gifts to lead. Guys, the vision of this church is to equip you for ministry. We'll talk about more in the next series about this. The, 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 the biblical mandate for every pastor, teacher, elder, leader is to equip the body for works of ministry. That's our heart. And that's the role of the elders and the staff. Equip. Not us starting a bunch of ministries for people's consumption, but to equip you to see God's name made famous in this city and around the world. Guys, let's spend the rest of our time really fast talking about some gifts Paul mentions in verse 8 to 10. Because I believe as a church, we're largely unfamiliar with these, and I think we should be. What he says in 8 through 9, he gives us a list. The first one is gifts of wisdom. We'll look at the application of these in a couple of weeks. It should be fun, so come back, right? We're going to talk about tongues and prophecy. Everybody's like, I'm not coming, or some of y'all are like, I am coming. I'm going to see what this pastor says, right? Give me a reason to fire him or something. I don't know. So gifts of wisdom, like sometimes the Spirit of God will give you insight into His will in an area that isn't spelled out clearly in Scripture. A lot of times the Scriptures are very clear. Don't murder, right? Don't kill people. That's pretty clear, right? Don't do that. Other, other times, you know, what job is the right one to take? Who should I marry? Should Christians vote against homosexual marriage? All these things, like Give me insight into your word, gifts of wisdom to understand, to be able to discern scripture. The other is a gift of wisdom, a, a special knowledge from the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John chapter 4, we see the man, he tells the, 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 the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, yeah, yeah, the man you're living with isn't your husband. You've been having five other husbands also. That woman's like, what's happening? This man knows who I am. I see you're a prophet is what she says. But he gives you gifts of knowledge in moments of need. 1 Corinthians 14, we'll talk about in two weeks. He says, but if you're prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God proclaiming God is really among you. How many of us would love to hear a non-believer come, fall face down on this altar and say, God is among you, Connection Church Savannah. God is moving in the midst of this place. I, I, for one, would absolutely love that because we can pray with that person and draw them into the church and, and love them and show them Christ. Guys, the purpose of this gift and every gift is for the completion of God's mission among all nations. Knowing and worshiping God. The next one you see is a gift of faith. Not nor, This is not normal belief in Christ and trust in God type faith, but the ability to perceive what God wants to do. Think of the people in the Gospels who came up to Jesus with an awareness that he would heal them. Remember that? Think about the, the friends who dismantled a roof that wasn't even theirs to get their friend to Jesus, right? They were committing property damage to get their friend to Jesus, right? Faith. You think about the Canaanite woman. She comes up and says, Jesus, heal, heal me, heal, heal me. But says even she says, and Jesus calls her a dog because she's a Gentile. And he says, but the woman says, but even the dogs under the table feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus says he saw her faith and healed her. Think about the centurion who came to Jesus and says, my son is, 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 is sick, I need help. He says, come, come with me now. He says, I'll come. He says, no, don't come. You just say the word and I know it's going to be there. I know it's going to happen. He says, Lord, I'm unworthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's the gift of faith. The gift of faith. There's another phrase that within this, in this little section of scripture is the gift of prophecy. This is one that makes us uncomfortable sometimes in the church. It shouldn't. 
In his book, Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem says, this means reporting in one's own words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Reporting in one's own words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. That means it's required of us to be obedient as we follow Christ. Some examples of this is found in Acts chapter 21. You see that, that the disciples entire, what they, they warned Paul not to go to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit. Don't go. The Holy Spirit has revealed to us that only hardship and death is waiting for you in Jerusalem. Acts 21.10 tells us of a disciple named Agabus who told Paul through the Spirit, told Paul that the Jews would deliver him into the hands of the Roman rulers. And guys, this is where we get uncomfortable because this wasn't a scripture where the disciples were saying, hey, uh, Paul, Jesus showed me this scripture and said you shouldn't go into this place because, no, this wasn't a scripture in the Bible telling Paul this. This was a man with a gift of prophecy, surrendered to God's mission, empowered by God's gifts, being obedient to the Lord. But I promise you, anytime that God gives you the gift of prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, or faith, it lines up with scripture. Anytime that it does not, you need to rebuke that person. It has to line up. God still does this. But my question is, are we quenching the spirit because we're scared or because we're, we're uncomfortable with that? Or are we committed to his mission? Remember, Grudem said, in his own words. This doesn't mean, this doesn't take the weight off of the thus says the Lord part of scripture. Because if anything against this scripture comes out of a Christian's mouth, we should be rebuking that brother and correcting them and drawing them back into the faith. That means when a prophecy is giving, it should always be done humbly. People say to me, God says this to you. How, how do we argue with that? You say, I think God might be saying. This is important. Notice Paul says that prophecy is a gift. Another gift is the ability to distinguish the spirits also or to distinguish the prophecies. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, don't despise prophecy. It says, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Test all things. Guys, weigh it out in Scripture. Guys, I never come up to people and say, hey, God's saying X, no more arguing. This is what God said. You don't know. We're done. That's, that's, that's pride. Unless I have a verse of Scripture. If I have a verse of Scripture, I say, God said this, no more arguing. This, this is the word, right? It's authority. I can say, I think God may be telling me to tell you and then expect you to weigh it out with Scripture and prayer right? The gifts of prophecy and the distinguishing of spirits. We need more of the interaction with the spirit in this house. Finally, it brings me to gifts of miracles and healing. Wow, this is awesome, right? We're getting into it at the end of the sermon today. We're going to jump back into it two weeks from now. Come back, bring your popcorn. It's going to be great. Gifts of healing and miracles are special abilities to pray for God's supernatural work in your life or someone else's life. For all of you cessationists out there today, this is not over. This still happens. And I would, I've seen this happen in my own life. I know that it happens. Now, I will, I will say that you don't see, that you do see in the Bible, in Acts even, that there were, seems to be an explosion of signs and wonders around the coming of Christ. And they seem to kind of subside after a while in Scripture. But Acts is full of these signs happening as the gospel goes into new areas. You look on the mission field today. Miracles are happening, healings are happening on the mission field so that God's name will be glorified and Jesus will be edified, authenticated as he is who he says he is. He's a God of all creation. Look what he can do. Let me show you. But when you read the epistles, you see a lot of this kind of dying down because the gospel is the main event. It's the main event. First Peter 4, 18, Paul talks about leaving a guy sick in a place. That is not weird. He's in the church and he's still sick. Why? Does he not have faith? No. He lives in a fallen world. You often see this in new places. Chris, the guy playing keyboard so beautifully right now, as we went to Africa one time and we got we were walking across this beautiful open plain mountains everywhere. There's these bushes to watch too much National Geographic, but there's probably lines over there. Probably need to walk this way. So we're, and we look across, we can see for miles, and this black cloud of rain just coming. And we're a long ways from the truck. I'm like, great, we're about to get flooded. So we get to this village, and these people are, like, worshiping, praising, like, and eventually they were singing songs to us, like, we brought the rain. Come to find out it hadn't rained there in four years. Four years, no rain. We walk into the village, there's rain, and they're like, these guys brought the rain. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. To them, that was a miracle. 
a miracle that had happened. God had brought rain. God had brought the gospel and God had brought the rain. You see dreams and visions happen all over the world. You see I ran right now the largest, fastest growing church in the world. You see, I had a dream that you would come. I had a dream that this, this man in white said, hey, there's somebody coming to share with you the message of life. You see, in China, Jesus gave people the gospel through a dream. This guy dreamed of Jesus, and he wrote down the gospel. He started sharing. Miracles still happen to this day. And I pray that we would be a church that does not quench the spirit in that realm. Now, every miracle, every healing in Scripture and in the world today is to confirm Jesus is who he says he is and to open doors for the gospel in places that it's not. You see that? Miracles are for opening eyes of the spiritually blind to the holiness and the majesty of God. This doesn't happen, excuse me, this doesn't mean that he won't do it here. Just that we may expect it more in places where the gospel is not. And then finally we see the gift of tongues. Glossalia is the Greek word, which means giving praise to God in a language that is unknown to you. Which we'll get into in two weeks, so come back, stay tuned. Should be awesome. The seventh and final thing as we close. Spiritual gifts do not equal spiritual fruit. Spiritual gifts don't equal spiritual fruit. Right after this chapter, tucked right in here before chapter 14, it's Paul's chapter on love. And people often think that it's just kind of jammed in there so we'd have something to read at weddings, right? All right, Paul was reading this from flashcards and he dropped them and kind of put them all together. But third, chapter 13 isn't random. Chapter 13 is, is, is crucial to understand spiritual gifts because God gave us these gifts as an act of love to us and they only work when we're focused on using them in love for one another. You see, there, there are many people who are very effective on the outside, but on the inside they're joyless, joyless, they're jealous, they're loveless, and they're discontent. That's why Paul never confuses spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, that we'll do next week, Patrick's going to come and bring a fire message about that. It's about the greatest of the, of the spiritual fruits, which is love. So where does love come from? I'm not sure where you're at this morning. Not, it's not a spiritual gift, but it's from seeing the greatest gift of God. It's the gospel of Jesus coming, God's son being torn apart for your sin. They're seeing that Jesus, well, Jesus took all his spiritual gifts and laid them down for us. Guys, this morning, if you're a Christian, God has, put a, has a plan to use you for his kingdom purposes. But so many times we believe a lie. I've done too much, gone too far, not gifted enough. All I got is the gift of administration. Hey, listen, that's the top for me, okay? I don't have anything to, I have anything to offer the church. Those are lies that the enemy tells you. I need to separate myself from the community. Lie from the enemy. So this morning we sang about break every chain. God, you know, the, the power of God, break every chain. Like he, he has no rival. He has no equal. He's the God of all creation. He's come to set us free. And this morning, I don't know if you're stuck in bondage of sin, shame, or you're stuck in bondage of thinking you're less than. I'm, I'm not sure where you're at. I'm not sure if you're just kind of on the outskirts of the church, kind of looking in. I pray this morning that God would grab your heart and draw you close to himself. That you would see that you're an integral part of the church. You're meant to be a missionary on mission for his kingdom, not just existing. This morning, the Bible tells us that God made Jesus, who had never been in the presence of sin, to become sin on our behalf. We look in the Bible as a perfect spotless lamb in the Old Testament was offered for the sins. The Jewish leaders would come, they would put their hand on the head of the lamb, and transferring their sins to that lamb. They would slaughter that lamb, and their sins would be forgiven for that year. My heart would be today is that you would see that God has done that in Jesus for us. That because of what happened on the cross, what was happening was God was putting his hand, transferring our sin onto Jesus and watching his son die for our sins. And he says in Romans, over and over and over again, if we put our faith in him, we'll be saved. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we'll be saved. A lot of people who claim Christ, they believe in their heart, but they have a hard time confessing with their mouth because of pride, fear, or shame. This morning, if you believe that in your heart, he's called us to profess it and to confess it with our mouth. This morning, if you're not saved, if you think you've just playing this game for a very long time in your faith, I pray that you would come to Christ. If you said, hey, Michael, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I've been a Christian for a very long time, but my spiritual gifts have just been non-existent. I've been kind of just kind of going to church. 
I pray this morning God has moved in your life to, to a point where you're saying, hey, you don't have spiritual gifts active in your life because you have not given your life to me. So there's two things, two types of people, or three types of people in this room. One person is using their gifts, part of the church, fired up, going after the mission, using their gifts to build up the church. The second person is a Christian who's living in sin or, or living outside the church or has kind of lost their way and hasn't been using their gifts. I pray the first person, you would rejoice and pray for the others. The second person, I pray that you would repent this morning and turn back to Christ and allow him to use you. And there's a third person. You're just not saved. And you know you're not saved. You know you've been putting a mask on for a long time. I'm a Christian because I go, to, I go to church and I read the Bible and I have this facade up. If that's you this morning, I pray that God would break through that wall and save you this morning. We prayed that before service. So this morning, if you know that you've heard the gospel and you've just been playing games with it, but you know this morning you need to take a step of belief. John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That doesn't mean I believe the sky's blue. Believe means I rest my weight of my life into the Savior's hands. This morning, if you've never done that, you're saying, hey, this morning I, I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. Well, now it's time to confess. Is there anyone here that wants to confess Jesus is Lord in their life for the first time this morning? Is there anybody that says, hey, I've been playing games. I, I've just been kind of going through the motions, but this morning I want to give my life to Christ. Is that anybody? Okay, well, that's great. That means we're saved in this place, I hope. Or if we're not, I pray God continues to work in your life. We're going to have a time of worship as we get ready to worship. This altar is open. My prayer is that you would not look at your watch, but you would look at your heart. And you allow God to work in your life this morning. If, it's, if your next step is repentance, come to the altar and repent. Allow God to use the gifts that he's put inside of you. Just, if it's to pray with someone, pray with someone. Whatever it is, just be obedient to Christ. Because we want to be a church that's obedient Lord. So let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you are, all that you do. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gifts that you've bestowed on us. God, we thank you that you have given us life and not what we deserve. I thank you, Father, for your love and